ever heard me preach. You are very fortunate people. I want you to know that for sure. I want you to meet my wife. I'm going to ask my wife, Charlotte, to stand. And uh, some of you know her. Mrs. Guzman knows her, and some of you know her, and uh, Virginia and Frank and others. Um, but I wanted the rest of you to get to meet her. I was in a church the other day, and the pastor got up, and he looked. I was sitting out there with my wife, and he and I've been there many times and, and preached, and he looked out at us, and he looked at me, and he said, he called me by my first name, which is Cliff, and he said, he said, I'm standing here looking at Cliff and wondering how in the world he got the wife he got. Don't say amen to that. <laughs> well, we are certainly glad to be here. Um, preacher, when he asked me if I would come and preach, uh, told me that he had an 830 service. I wasn't sure there was an 830, but he said they're having an 830 service. And uh, he said, now, mostly... In the 8.30 service, you're going to have seniors. And I thought, wow, well, that's my crowd. I'll be in November, I'll be 78 years old. And I thought, that's my, my crowd. Well, a little bit later, I was talking with Mrs. Burwell, and I said, she said, what are you going to preach on? And I said, I'm going to preach on how to hit a home run for God. And she looked at me, and she said, seniors aren't going to be interested in how to hit a home run for God. They can hardly hold the bat up. And uh, so I took her advice. You say you changed your message? No, I changed my title. And I changed the title to How to Hit a Home Run for God Even If You're Old. And uh, so at any rate, we're going to have a good time. You know, it's not easy being old. How many of you are over 60 years of age? How many of you have yet started to hurt? It's not easy getting old, and the worst thing I can think of is folk reminding you that you're old. I, um, I went into a McDonald's a while back, and uh, I said, I'd like to have a small coffee. And there's a teenage girl working there, and so she brought me a coffee, and she said, I said, how much is that? And she said, 87 cents. And I said, 87 cents? I didn't know coffee was that cheap. She said, that's our senior price. I said, ma'am, I did not tell you I was a senior. This is the truth. And she looked at me and said, I know what I could tell by looking. I don't like to be reminded that I am old. I, um, I'm tired of AARP sending me advertisements. Every week in the mail, I get something from AARP. Do you get that? You ever get AARP? I get AARP in a mail just about every week. They tell me that I need their glasses, or they tell me that I need their hearing aid, or they tell me that I need their false teeth, or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and I, AARP, I tell you, they remind you all the time that you're old. Worse than that, I hate getting advertisements from funeral homes. Anybody here ever get advertisements from a funeral home? I got one not long ago. It said, it said, um, have you reserved your spot yet? And I thought, no, I haven't reserved my spot because I'm not planning on going anywhere yet. I got one. I, the best one I ever got. It said this. Do you want to be a burden to your children? And I opened that thing up and I looked at it in big letters. Do you want to be a burden to your children? 
And I looked at it and I said, yes, I do want to be a burden. They've been a burden to me for 18 years. I do want to be a burden to them. Folk, let me tell you, it's not easy getting old. Let me, and, 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 and you get in trouble when you get old. I'm going to read something to you. This is someone that was up in their 80s. And, um, and, and, and it's, it's a way you can get kind of mixed up and get in trouble when you get old. Here's what it says. A man left the snowy streets of Chicago to go on vacation in Florida. His wife, who was on a business trip, was going to join him the next day. He decided to send her a text message. And I don't know about you. I, I know how to make a phone call, and that's about it. But he decided to send her a text message, but hit the wrong button. And sent it to a preacher's wife whose husband had just died the day before. She opened the message and here's what it said. Dearest wife, wanted to let you know I just got checked in. Arrangements have been made for you to join me tomorrow. P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) So you can get in trouble for this old age thing, I'll tell you. And become just... uh, Disengruntled. I want you to take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 3 with me. I want to talk to you a little bit from the book of Acts, talk to you a little bit on the subject, how to hit a home run for God. And Acts chapter number 3, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. Acts chapter 3, verses beginning at verse 1. And listen carefully now as I read. Here's what the Bible says. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the ninth hour, uh, the, uh, the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them which entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fasting his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to be here at the Lighthouse Baptist Church. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to be able to preach to the folk here. Some of them we know, some of them we don't, but they're all... Your people, and Father, I pray today that the Holy Spirit of God would take the message and speak to every heart in this room. And Father, I know in my own life the reality of the fact that I'm getting older and I can't do what I used to do, can't can't work as hard as I used to work. But Father, you are not done with us yet as long as we have breath in our lungs. And so I pray that you'd help us this morning to realize that we're here because there's something still that you want us to do for you. Thank you for all you do. Bless the service, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. This is a story about a lame man who was healed by the power of God. It's interesting to notice in this story 
that uh, all the attention was on the man who got healed. Uh, nobody paid any attention to Peter and John, and they were the ones that God used to bring the miracle, but everybody's attention was on the one who got healed. It's sort of like in a ball game. Have any of you ever watched a ball game on television? Anybody ever seen a ball game on television? Hold your hand up if you have. All right? So, now, tell me if I'm not telling you the truth. Can I come down here? Is that okay? I guess I can. Um, tell me if I'm telling you the truth or not. It, somebody hits a home run. Maybe it's two outs. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's uh, uh, three strikes or two strikes, and the guy's getting ready to hit the home run. And he's got one chance at it. And, boy, he connects with the ball, and it goes way up into the second tier of the stadium. And... Um, and um, all of a sudden, if you're watching, all of a sudden, the cameras get on the ball. Have you ever noticed? Tell me if I'm not right. They follow the ball, and you can see the ball going up. Is that right? Shake your heads. Don't let them rattle, but you shake them. That, so, so the camera goes on the ball, follows the ball up in the second tier. You see the people up there. Everybody's trying to get that ball, you know. And finally, somebody jumps up, and they're shaking. Well, they got the ball. And the poor guy that hit the home run has run around all the bases, and he's sitting there, wore out. He can hardly breathe. Uh, he just wore himself out and hit and running that home run, and nobody has paid any attention to him. Now, that's how it was in this story. Peter and John were the ones who hit the home run for God. Had it not been for Peter and John, there'd have been no miracle. Uh, there'd been no great victory. Been nothing great that God did. That man would never have been healed. But the Bible says they paid attention to the one who was healed, not to the one who uh, caused the miracle to happen. Now, when the when the crowd finally did come back, and you can find that in verses eleven through thirteen, when they finally did come to Peter and John. They began to give them glory for what they had done, and Peter and John refused to take the glory. They knew they had hit a home run, but it was in the power of God, and they wanted God to get all the glory for what had happened. Can I say this to you? No church is ever going to excel. No Christian is ever going to excel. Nobody's ever going to do anything great for God if we're trying to get the glory for ourselves. The glory has to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they refused to take the glory. Now, I want to show you how they hit a home run, okay? So I'm going to give you several things. And I'm watching the clock because I was told what time I have to stop. And Brother Frank, if I'm going too long, is going to get up and go to the back and wave at me. And then if I don't see him waving, he's coming up and literally taking me off the platform. So, at any rate, I hope that doesn't have to happen. All right, let me give you several things. Number one, I want you to notice, here's how you can hit a home run for God. Peter and John formed a happy team. They formed a happy team. Look at verse number one. The Bible says in chapter three of Acts, the Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together. Now, they were not just together physically. They were together in purpose. They were together in spirit. They were together in wanting to accomplish something for God. They went up together. They formed a happy team. Did you know that every member of this church is part of a team that God wants to use to hit a home run for himself? Doesn't matter how old you are. 
Uh, I think I was, somebody mentioned they were in their 80s. How many are in your 80s? Hold your hand up. All right, several. Anybody here in your 90s? Oh, there, okay, one person in their 90s. That is amazing to me. I am going to be 78. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be 78. I'll never make it. Look, I'm trying to make it to my next birthday. That's all I'm trying to do. Get to my next birthday. Boy, I'll tell you, I don't care if you're 80 or 85 or 90 or how old you are. If you're still alive, God has a purpose for you to serve Him in this church. And you're part of the team. And let me tell you something. Uh, the team will not do as good as it could do unless you do your part for the Lord. There's a job for me to do. There's a work for me to do. I'm 78. You know where I hurt? I hurt from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Uh, my back, I can hardly walk half the time. But you know what? If I'm still here, God has something for me to do. And also, He has something for you to do. You're needed to help the team hit a home run for God. No team will ever be a winning team unless they are a happy team. Now, you say, preacher, what do you mean a happy team? Well, happy with the church. How many of you are happy with Lighthouse Baptist Church? Hold your hand up. If your hand's not up, I'm taking names from the preacher. I just want you to know that. Uh, okay, happy with the church. We're supposed to be happy with our church. We're supposed to be happy with our pastor. We're supposed to be happy with the promotion, whatever it is that might be going on. Happy with the bus ministry. Happy with everything that's going on. Let me tell you, no team, football team, baseball team, any kind of a team will ever win the victory if they're not happy with each other. And so we have to be a happy team. Now, my church, when I pastored, we had a happy church. And let me just say this to you also. I know a lot of preachers, if somebody in the church kind of teases them or makes a joke, they get upset about that. I've had some preachers say, I don't know, my people don't respect me. They're always making jokes. Let me tell you something. When you love each other and you're happy with each other, you tease each other. Nothing wrong with that. I, I'll tell you what. I was, uh, when I pastored Calvary Road Baptist Church in, over in Waldorf, Maryland, um, I, now don't get mad at me. I don't know if you have a beard or not this morning. Don't get mad at me. But when I was pastoring, which has been a, 40 years ago, when I was pastoring, everybody who was on the platform had to be clean shaven. And I, I, I just, I made, I don't, and maybe that's not, but that was just my stand. You're going to be on a platform, happy, clean shaven. Well, I had a preacher friend over in Virginia who was a great guy. He was a man of God. He was a good man. But he had a mustache. And I wanted our people to get to hear him. And they knew nobody had ever been on a platform that had a beard or mustache. And so I wanted them to hear him. So I called him up and scheduled him to come on a Sunday morning to preach for me. And then I apologized to the people. I said, folk, now I know I don't want to be a compromiser. You know my my stand on being clean shaven if you're going to be on the pulpit, whatever. But I said, "This, this, this man right here is a great man of God and I make an exception. I want him to get to preach. I want you to get to hear him. And they, they looked at me and 
just sort of looked at me. And I said, now, I'm not changing my stand, but I'm making an exception. He's going to come and preach. And so he came up to preach. And he looked at the people and he said, Folk, I understand your pastor does not allow anybody on the platform with a beard or a mustache. He said he's, he's against that. He said, I, wanted, I want you to know that I would be against it too if I wasn't man enough to grow one. Now, some preachers would have got mad about that, but listen, we love each other. He's just te- Now, let me tell you what happened the next Sunday. The next Sunday, I came to church. We're having the service. I'm getting ready to preach. We've had the songs. I'm getting ready to come up and preach. And there was a little table back here, and I had my Bible on the table. I turned around to get my Bible, and when I turned back around, and we had a full auditorium, when I turned back around, every person in the auditorium, by the way, some woman did this. It's always a woman that causes trouble. Uh, I turned around, and all the little kids... The ladies, the men, everybody, somebody had made a mustache on a popsicle stick. And when I turned back around, everybody had a mustache in the auditorium. (laughs) Now you say, preacher, they rebel. No, listen, we love each other. Hey, you've got to have a happy team if you're going to do anything for God. And if you're going to hit a home run for the Lord. They formed a happy team. Let me give you a second thing. Number two. They hung around the clubhouse all the time. Now, the clubhouse, for God, is the local New Testament church. This is God's clubhouse for Lighthouse Baptist Church. People are members of Lighthouse Baptist Church. This is your club, clubhouse for God. I'm, I'm using this baseball theme. So it's a clubhouse for God. Now, it could be in a storefront. I know some preachers that are meeting in storefronts, good men of God, building a church. It could be in a warehouse. I know one preacher that had his youth um, youth um, uh, services in a barn, and they were meeting in a barn. It doesn't matter where you meet as long as God is in it. And by the way, let me tell you this. Not everything with a steeple and a sign that says church is really a church. You mark that down. Everywhere we go, we see, all right, well, I won't get into it, I don't have time. But, but everywhere we go, we see what's supposed to be churches, but they're as worldly as they can be. Their music is worldly as it can be. There's, they're contemporary in their services. They don't even have enough sense to know that the King James Bible is the Word of God and they have other versions and everything else in the church. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Uh, these guys hung around the clubhouse all the time. Peter and John were at the clubhouse. They loved to be there. And I want to tell you that you're no good to God. Now, don't get mad at me, okay? At least yet, because i still got 11 o'clock and 6 o'clock. So you have plenty of time to get mad at me. But I'm going to tell you something. We're not much good for the team or to the team if we're only at the, uh, the clubhouse half the time. Brother, listen, we still ought to be in Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and support all the meetings of the church. Why? Because we're part of the team. Hey, listen, if the quarterback doesn't show up, you've got a problem. I often thought about that. We'd have people in our church just not show up, and I'm depending on them to do something. I thought maybe one day I just won't show up. 
The pulpit will just be empty. Nobody to preach, just I won't show up. You know what? Every one of us are needed to be a part of the team. And we've got to do what Peter and John did. They hung around the clubhouse all the time. Now, I may not get this message finished. I'm trying to. But um, let me tell you a little story. Church ought not be something you say, you know, you go to the foot of the steps, you holler upstairs, hey, honey, are we going to church this morning? It ought to already be set. We'll go to church. Sunday morning, we go to church. Sunday night, we go to church. Wednesday night, we go to church. And it ought to be, it ought to be, and I, this is maybe a bad illustration, but it ought to be, I like the word mesmerized. Now, the word mesmerized, the best way I can describe what it means is, when I was a little boy, we had, I don't have TV now, but when I was a little boy, we had TV. The screen was about that big. And my brother and I would watch the zombies. And the zombies would be like this. And they had no control. They were just going where they were led. It ought to be like that for church. Every Sunday morning. Got to be a... Look, I was in my car. Mrs. Burwell said to me, it's been years ago. She said to me, go down to the store and get me some bread and milk. Sure. I jump in the car. I don't know what you do when you're in your car, but I'm singing and beating the dashboard and holding the service and everything. And so I'm on my way. Go get bread and milk. I drove. Finally got to the parking lot. Got in the parking lot. Cut the car off and looked up. And I was in the church parking lot. And I... I thought, what in the world am I doing here? I'm supposed to be going to the store. You know what? I'm so used to going there, so used to being there, so mesmerized with the church, that I've just automatically went to the church. Let me tell you what mesmerized is. It's church is so important that you're always headed for church. My wife and I were riding down the road in our car. It's been years ago. She was trying to tell me, How to drive. Does your wife ever try to tell you how to drive, sir? How many of your wife tries to tell you how to drive? She's trying to keep his arm down. (laughs) How many of you? All right. Now, listen. That is not. It's irritating. Because a lot of times what they tell you doesn't make sense anyway. No, no, no. Listen. Hold it. Look at, watch out. Red, red, red light. Now, oh, okay. Go ahead. You can go now. It, it turned green. Just craziness. And so my wife was, we got to turn here. Oh, no, no, this is a turning lane. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. This is a turning lane. And finally, in my sweetest way that I knew how, I looked at her and I said, shut up. And you could have taken a knife and cut the atmosphere in that car from that point on. Nobody is talking to anybody. It just became, it just a car, temperature to car just moved into the 80s, 85. We're driving. Nobody's talking to anybody. I get behind a dump truck on an old back road where two cars could hardly pass. So there was no getting around him. And I'm following this dump truck. He's going about 10 miles an hour. You can only count the tread on the tires so many times. You can only read, don't push, 
so many times. Probably it wasn't ten minutes, but it seemed like an hour because nobody's getting along in the car right now. And, and I'm talking about being mesmerized. And I'm following the truck, following the truck, following the truck. Finally, the truck turned off onto a gravel road to go down to the gravel pit. Guess who followed the truck? I was so used to following it. I turned. True story, she'll tell you. I followed the truck down into a gravel pit. There's all kinds of heavy machinery, loading trucks and all. And I st- and now I feel like an idiot because I already had a problem. And Mrs. Burwell turned her head and looked at me and said, what you reckon we're going to do here? Now, listen, we need as Christians, we need to be mesmerized about this thing of going to church. It ought to be church on Sunday morning, church on Sunday night, church on Wednesday night. Why? Because we have to pay attention to God's clubhouse if God is going to be able to use us to do something great for Him. So, Peter and John formed a happy team. They hung around the clubhouse all the time. Let me give you a third thing. They met with the owner and the manager of the team on a regular basis. Now, who's the owner and the manager of the team? Let me show it to you. Look at the last part of verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together, happy team, into the temple. They are they're staying around the house of God. Now, look, at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. They were, um, they met with the owner and the manager. Who is the owner and the manager of the team? I'll tell you who it is. It's God. God's the owner of the local church. God's the manager of the local church. You say, well then, well then, what is Pastor Bishop? If God's the owner and the manager, what's he? I'll tell you what he is. He's our coach. And let me tell you, anybody that knows anything about football or baseball knows that the players... Don't just go running every time they want to to the owner of the team. They go to the coach. And by the way, God gave us a coach to tell us a lot of things that he wants to say to us that we're not going to find out from him personally. That's why God gave us a pastor. And so they met with the owner and the manager. They went to prayer. They talked with the owner and the manager constantly about the church about what's going on, about their Christian lives, about how they could work together to win uh, people to Christ and, 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 and get a home run, hit a home run for God. Let me tell you something. The devil's crowd, I, I, I want to tell you, I, I, I go to a motel if you want to see what the world's like, or go to some shopping mall. I cannot believe how wicked this world is today. We're living in the most wicked times that we've ever lived in in the history of this world. And let me tell you this. The young people are in worse shape morally than they've ever been in the history of our country. The devil's crowd is out there. They're opposing the opposing team. And they are trying to strike us out. God wants to use it to hit a home run. But the world and the devil are trying to strike us out. Now, our job is to hit a home run for God, and we do it. Listen to me. We hit a home run for God every time we salvage a teenage life, every time we change a life, every time we save a marriage, 
every time we comfort a heart or save a soul. And listen, it's not us that does it. It's God that does it, but He does it through us. We are His tool to get the work done. So, Peter and John got a miracle. They hit a home run for God. And the reason they did was because they were a happy team, because they stayed around the clubhouse all the time, and because they met with the owner and the ma- manager on a regular basis. They went, the Bible says that they went into the temple at the hour of prayer. What do you think they went in there for? You tell me. To pray. Uh, let me, I got another question. Who do you think they were going to pray to? To the Lord. And who's the owner and manager of the team? That's the Lord. And so they were praying. They, 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 they spent time with God. That's what you're going to have to do if you're going to hit a home run. First off, you're not hitting a home run if you're disgruntled. You're going to have to be happy with what's going on. And by the way, let me just stop and say this to you. We go to a lot of churches. I could, on less than my five fingers, I could name the churches that we go to that are solid, independent, standard-bearing, King James Bible. We only go to independent fundamental Baptist churches, but very few are the ones that their music is right, their emphasis is right, their soul is right, they have bus minute, all those things. Very few are they. You, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. So I'm just going to tell you, you are in one of the best churches that I know about. And you're in a church that's got one of the greatest men of God. You know, you get used to the man of God. But you've got one of the greatest men of God that you could ever have that pastors this church. Faithful, loyal, and he doesn't change. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what, that's the way it has to be. Now, number four. I only have two more. And you're going to be happy and the clock's catching me anyway. Number four. They learn to swing at every pitch. Peter and John formed a happy team. They hung around the clubhouse all the time. They were always in prayer to the owner and manager. That's God. And they learned to swing at every pitch. Look at verses 2 through 4. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. When, when, uh, when, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Now watch this. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. Look on us. This was an opportunity for Peter and John to get to do something for God. And if you're talking in terms of a ball game, they said, boy, here's a chance to swing out of pitch. Here's a chance to do something for God. They learned to swing at every pitch. Now, let me tell you this. In a ball game, you don't swing at every pitch, do you? Now, tell, tell, me, tell me why, class. Why don't you swing at every pitch? Huh? What, not? Okay, it's not over the plate. But why, aren't, why don't you swing at it anyway? It doesn't matter, does it? Oh, if you, if you miss three times, you're out. So, but in God's work, you swing at every opportunity. Why? Because you're never out until you stop swinging. 
So you just keep swinging and swinging and swinging. Every opportunity. Sometimes we'll see somebody on the side of the road and it looks like something we want to avoid when maybe it's an opportunity for us to go to somebody and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was in, I was in a, a, a Lowe's lumber store not long ago. I was looking for bug killer for my yard. Because we had kind of different kinds of bugs in the yard. And I was looking for a bug killer for the yard. I was going down this line, bug, all these bug sprays and stuff. There were two or three guys there that were looking. And there was a guy standing right here. And I, t- I told him, I said, man, I'll tell you what. Who knows what to use? i got a hundred different things here. How do you know which one's right? And he said, well, he said, I think I, I like this over here. We started talking. And I said, well, do you live in the area? He said, um, yeah, I do. I'm, I live here in town. I said, that's great. Where do you go to church? And I got, we got a conversation started. Three or four other guys there looking at the stuff. This guy's here. I'm here. We began to talk. I gave him the gospel. They heard everything we were saying. We weren't trying to talk quietly. And uh, I asked him, I said, would you like to know for sure you're saved? Would you like to go to heaven when you die? And he looked at me and said, yes, sir, I would. When he bowed his head there, we prayed. He asked the Lord to save him. And those guys just stood over there and thought, boy, there's some crazy people over here. We better get out of here. But he got saved. Why? Because it was an opportunity for me to try to talk to somebody and get them saved. The church that we go to, and Frank, you're probably not going to have to bodily take me down because I am watching the clock, okay? Um, the church that I go to, I don't know if you ever heard of the pastor's name, is Daryl Cox. One of the most country people you'll ever meet in your life. He, he, You can't even understand what he says sometimes because he's so country. He was preaching to a bunch of preachers one time, and he said this. He said, you guys are not right with God. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. You keep messing around like you are, and God's going to put a knot on your head so big, you're going to have to run the ladder to scratch it. Now, what that means, I have no idea. <laughs> but he's as country as he can be. If you went to the church, you think he was the janitor. But he's built a great church there, five or six hundred people. They have so many. They were bringing six hundred before COVID. Six hundred in on buses. Just a kind old country preacher, brother Cox, been there for years and years and years. Church of five hundred, six hundred, whatever buses galore. And all these years, brother Cox has had a bus route himself. He every Saturday he goes out in the morning. Visits his bus route all day. This is the pastor. Visits his bus route all day. Uh, then Sunday morning, gets on the bus get with his driver. They go out, pick all the kids up, bring them all to church, get them all in Sunday school, and then he goes and preaches. And Brother Cox said this. I'm talking, I'm, 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 I'm talking about swinging at every pitch, every chance you get to do something for God if you're going to hit a home run. Brother, Brother Cox said one day, by the way, after church is over, and I'm watching carefully, I still got about four minutes, and you're glad. Um, after church, after church is over, Brother Cox goes out to the buses. They probably have 25 buses. He goes out and he'll jump on the first bus and he'll say, "Okay, kids, remember, Brother Cox loves you. You come back next week, okay? I'm gonna be looking for you." Then he gets on the next bus. Same thing. Next bus. Same thing. He said he jumped up on one bus and it was a little black boy. Sitting right in front, right in front of him in their front seat. And he said the little black boy was crying. 
And Brother Cox was getting ready to tell the kids to come back. And he looked at him. He said, son, what's wrong? And the little black boy looked up and he said, I'm hungry. He said, my stomach's hurting. And Brother Cox knew that was, that was true because they go into some of the places where parents don't care a bit about their kids. And Brother Cox said, when he looked at me crying and said, I'm hungry, my stomach's hurting. Brother Cox said, God took a, a knife and stuck it in my heart. And he said, I didn't say it out loud. But he said, I whispered to God and said, God, if you'll let me live till next Sunday, I promise you no little child will ever go away from this church again hungry. That week, Brother Cox got his ladies together. Back then, they were running 600 on buses. He got his ladies together, and they began to prepare. Every Sunday, every child would get a little bag lunch with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some potato chips, a drink, and that has gone on for all of these many years. You know why? Because Brother Cox saw that little black boy crying, hungry. And he said, here's a chance to swing at another pitch. And God did great things there with that. I'm almost done. I've got just a couple of minutes left. So I say, number one, Peter and John, this is how you hit a home run for God. Peter and John formed a happy team. They hung around the clubhouse, the church, all the time. They met with the owner and the manager and prayed constantly to God to bless and to help. They learned to swing at every pitch. And then last of all, God let them hit a home run. In ver- I'm going to read quickly. I'm about two minutes, read quickly. And he gave heed unto them. This is that lame man. Expecting to receive something of them, Peter said, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. The lame man not only got healed, but was saved that day. And many others were saved also because there were two men that decided we're going to hit a home run for God. Now, can I say this and I'm done? You may be here and you're a younger person. God wants you to help hit a home run for Him. It may be you're here and you're older, but God needs you. Listen. God puts you in this church, whether you understand it or not. You say, oh, no, no, my cousin told me about this church, came over and I like. No, God brought you to this place and put you in this church. And I'm going to tell you why. Because he knew he needed you, your personality, your effort, what you're able to do. He needed you to help this team hit a home run. And I don't care if you're the youngest person in this service right now or you're the little lady that's in her 90s. If you're still breathing and your heart is still pumping blood, God has a job for you and God needs you to help the team hit a home run for Him. 
I hope you'll consider that this morning. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this good crowd of people. Folk who obviously love you. They're here because they love you and they want to serve you. But, Father, I know in my own life, as I've gotten older, sometimes I wonder if there's anything left I can do. Sometimes I wonder if I'm of any usefulness anymore. But, Father, we understand that nobody, nobody's too old to keep serving God. Nobody is too old to be without a purpose, a part of the team, to help the team hit a home run. It just so happens, Father, that today... I'm getting to preach in a church where the team is a good team. It's a King James Bible team. It's a soul-winning team. It's a standard-bearing team. It's a team led by a coach who loves you and stands for what's right. I get to be in a good place this morning. I pray you'd help every person in this room to reaffirm their, their desire to be used of you in any way that you want to use them to help the team to hit a home run for God. Heads are bowed and not bowed and eyes are closed. Just real quickly, you're here this morning. You'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm saved. I know I am. I, I want to do more for the Lord, and I want you to pray for me. If you're like that, would you slip your hand up? All over the house, numbers of people. God bless you. God bless you. I wonder if there's anybody here, you'd say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't know if I died right now. I don't know I'd go to heaven. But I want to go to heaven. I know I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to call your name or embarrass you or come to you after service. You'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I need to be saved. Anyone here like that this morning? I'm not sure I'm saved. I need to be. I want to be. Pray for me. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray you'll bless our invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.